Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. We continue our celebration of Kentucky writers and writing on today's Think Humanities podcast. Mary Ann Taylor Hall wrote her first poem when she was 10 years old. She is the author of two novels, a book of short fiction, three collections of poetry, and is published widely in literary journals. She is best known for her novel, Come and Go, Molly Snow, and a collection of short stories, How She Knows What She Knows About Yo-Yos. Taylor Hall's most recent book of poetry, Out of Nowhere, New and Selected Poems, was published in December 2017 by Old Cove Press. Marianne has lived on a farm on the Harrison-Scott County line for many years. She was married to poet James Baker Hall. In our podcast conversation, recorded in a sunlit writing room in the upstairs of her house, we discussed the challenges of being a woman writer and a new novel she is working on. Marianne Taylor Hall begins the conversation by recalling her move to the country years ago. We're on the Harrison County side of the street. The mailbox is over there across the street in Scott County. It's in uh, a very ridgy, uh, beautiful part of uh, Kentucky where the Bluegrass Plateau in Lexington begins to break down toward the Ohio River. So the ridges are very sharp and um, the the countryside is very varied. Um, and I came here, I guess, uh, almost, yeah, almost 40 years ago uh, to live. I uh, came here uh, and my friends, Susan and Dick Richards, had a little tar paper house I could stay in. It happened to be the year of the great snows, 1977, when the roads actually froze up almost immediately after I got here. And I had a little used uh, Chevrolet. So um, I, I came here and decided to stay then. And uh, the house I live in still has at its heart that little tar paper house. But um, it had, I was living in it by myself, and then when I married Jim, we needed to expand it greatly in order to, um, to be able to embrace his photographic work and all of his um, other deals. Uh, so um, I have been um, living here both by myself and with Jim, and then again by myself after his death for 40 years. And um, it's, it's, I can't imagine living anywhere else now. I've lived a very sort of um, uh, migratory life before I came here, but when I stopped, I really did stop. So here I am in Harrison County. Um, did, when you first came here, tell me about your writing um, 
40 years ago, what was written here? What were you working on? Mm -hmm. I had I had not thought of myself as a poet for one thing, and I had I had published several short stories in literary journals, and when I came here, um, I was still doing that, but I got overtaken by an idea. Uh, I was working down the hill in one of those studios, and I was reading. Uh, a poem about um, a woman coming out of the woods who was very troubled. I had a very strong visual response to that poem, and my first impulse as a fiction writer, which is what I actually thought of myself in those times, was what's wrong with that woman? What is it that she's so... Uh, uh, torn apart about. And the f strange thing was that I also envisioned in that moment that she was walking toward a house. It was one of the, you know, the you know, quintessential Kentucky houses, a clapboard two-story house, old, and a farmhouse with a back porch on it. And I understood that whatever was going to save her was in that house. I mean, I haven't had very many visions like mm -hmm. that, but I had that one. Then all I had to do was to figure out what it was that had happened to her that was so um, destroying. And so the novel Come and Go, Molly Snow, came out of that. Um, and I don't believe that that, story that that novel would have been written had I not been living in this country. Uh, the flow of the language and and of the plot all seemed to me to generate themselves out of this place as if I were receiving notes. It was a really kind of the only mystical experience I've had, but I really did feel like I was the receptor and uh, connector of that uh, plot. At the time, did you write uh, Come and Go, Molly Snow uh, in the studio down the hill? Mm -hmm. Is that where you did most of your uh, of that mm -hmm. writing? Yes, I did. And then uh, when I finished it, we had redone the house, and I finished it in the, a room that had once been the attic that's now a little garret room. And I remember that the <clears throat> the novel ends with a song uh sort of that she, she's a fiddler and she was making up another song and that song came to me as i was walking uh um i walked every morning with whatever dog i had at the time and uh i came back in i was crying you know and i came back in and wrote the end of the the book having had that song come to me. So I had those two mystical experiences, the one at the beginning and the one at the end, um, that I think both came out of the place where I live. So um, when writers talk about uh, place and voice and an, a place that becomes uh, familiar to them is their writing place, mm -hmm. this truly was Mm -hmm. in this mystical way, mm -hmm. your place. Yes, it was, or it was its play. I mean, the novel was its, you know, in a sense. I feel that so much of that particular novel, uh, not any other that I, you know, have tried to write or have written, 
uh, absolutely was being dictated to me in a strange way. I think that that probably is a melodramatic way of saying it, but uh, it isn't as if I didn't have to fight through to, to write the thing, but I do feel that I was, that I had some sort of a, 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 a direct connection to some, uh, some spirit. spirit that's floating around. So for you, it's not necessarily this room or this chair that you're sitting in, this rocking chair, or a desk that you're writing on. It it was mm-hmm. it was all of this place, mm-hmm. the outdoor, mm-hmm. the studio, moving up here to finish yeah. the novel into the main house. Mm-hmm. All of that uh played such yeah. a a special part in producing and, Come and Go Molly Snow. And the other thing about it was that you know, many people who live around here have lived here for a couple of generations, you know, uh, they've come from people, you know, and grown up here. And um, I felt that I was being given a lot of information that seemed to me to be important just because I was um, in a place where people had long land memories. Um, and, and, you know, things like the pond that's down there and, and, and ghost stories, you know, that people tell, uh, and that sort of thing, uh, really influenced the, the, uh, music of the book, uh, 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 I think in a, in a very, uh, central kind of way. Tell me about the room that we're in now and how it developed and, um, how you and and your husband James Baker Hall both operated, uh, but had your separate areas too. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this this room that we're in now uh, is part of the new structure of the house. When Alan Heisel, who was the architect for the new for the renovation, came here. He was the first, I wanted to have a room that was, you know, we had an attic uh, with pitched roofs and several people had looked at the, uh, the place and said, oh no, you wouldn't want to have a, uh, and Alan got up on the ladder to the attic and he said, yeah, we can make a room up here. And that was when I decided, you know, that, then we said, done deal, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, you do it. And so um, at that point I was writing I had been riding down the hill in the study that Jim and I had shared. He was on one side. He, first he had the whole thing, and then I wormed my way into one side of it. And, uh, but then when the house was built, I worked in the garret room, and, um, and that's where I finished the novel. And um, so I, it was, a, it was a, a wonderful timing that I was able to claim that place just as I was coming to the end of the book. So for our podcast audience who will hopefully see some still photos of mm-hmm. this, but, but needs uh, a picture drawn of, of this room, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about uh, the design, the light, mm-hmm. um, how heartwarming that is to you, mm-hmm. how it uh, influenced uh, some of what you were doing at that time, and, and, and Jim's work too. Well, 
in this room where we're having this interview, I would just call it warming, you know, because it gets very hot up here when the uh, skylights and all of these windows are, are working. But it's book-lined, and, and uh, yeah. describe what else you see here Okay, in well, right now, when, when Jim was working in here, the whole uh, place, you see all these shelves, they were minutely, you know, very, very carefully uh, divided into uh, sections that would hold uh, unframed prints, frame prints, frame prints of a, or matted prints of a certain size. He was very fastidious about that. And um, when Jim was working, he was working at this table that's in the center, and it would always be laden with things. Um, that he was dealing with, you know, at the time. It was a wonderful place for a photographer to set up shop, and he had designed it himself. Mm. This, was, this was all the new addition to the house. The part on the other side was already here and was just needed to be resurrected. Do you recall, or not, not precisely every word or verse, uh, but uh, what did you write in this house? I uh, I wrote all of the poetry that I've written has been written here in this room, um, and that will continue to be the case. I think uh, I tried to go back into that little uh, garret room, and it felt enclosed and sort of you know hard to hard to fight uh, the the uh, the coziness of the place in a way. I always ended up on the futon taking a nap or something. I don't know. So, Which is not a bad idea. You know, well, that's good for poetry, not so good for novels. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, since, since Jim's death, I have worked up here a good bit of the time. But for... Um, for a lot... He was a great builder of... of, of of uh, spaces to work, he he had a space across. He had a film room across the road in the barn, and he had a studio in Lexington. Um, I have a friend who used to call him the hundred pound mushroom because <laughs> he kept on, you know, taking, you know, he needed more and more space. But um, I think that the place I was most comfortable working was down there in the year that I was there. I've tried to go back into that little room and I can't do it. I don't know why, but it, it feels like it's closing in on me. I like to work out here. So there is, uh, in your mind, uh, a great deal of um, importance placed uh, on you as, an, as, a, as a writer on the, the physical location so. of where you are. I mean, that, that's important to you. Yes, I think it is. <clears throat> One reason I know that is that in all of that migratory life I lived before I settled in Kentucky, I was really hampered by the fact that I didn't have a, a, a place that I uh, felt comfortable uh, sort of uh, commandeering and making it my own, you know. Um, I, I was always hunched up in some corner of some apartment or something like that. Um, and as a follow-up to that, th this is um, this is where your your best work and the the majority of your work the has majority, been done. Majority, certainly, yeah. And uh, yeah, would I'd you say, call it your best work? 
Yes, mm. I would. Some of it. <laughs> Some of it was not my best work, but uh, I think that, that uh, the, the, the work that I've done that has come m most directly uh, uh, has come here. Um, you have, um, you've, if it's proper to say, you've turned to poetry uh, more than uh, fiction uh, or right long. Well, the reason I... Did, did this place influence that in well, some way? No. Uh, I, I belong to a, a, a women, there were seven of us, and we met every three weeks, and we pulled three words out of a box and went home and did what we would, would with them and came back in two weeks. And that was much easier to accommodate to poetry than to to fiction, you know. So a lot of the poems that are in the various uh, collections that I have came directly out of those assignments. Um, and I've always been very grateful to those women, uh, Judy Young and Jane Vance and Carolyn Heisel and Audrey Robinson and Donna Boyd and Susan Richards. I mean, we were all you know, just playing around, but a lot of good work came out of that uh, that way of, you know, making it into play, into something that was not, uh, that was not threatening, that you were just going to go and do a little something, you know. I think we had to get ambition out of our minds, um, and and that's so so but that that uh, system was much more uh, amenable to poetry than to fiction so that's when I started really writing poetry I had written it when I was a kid uh, my father sent one of my poems to the Saturday Evening Post <laughs> and it came back they wrote the sweetest little letter <laughs> in their rejection of it <laughs> by the way for for new listeners Saturday Evening Post was a magazine <laughs> We have to clarify uh, and tell people what that was and a wonderful uh, publication it was. No, oh, for heaven's sakes, well, we, we do have to clarify. Um, do you, um, you're still writing, of course. Uh, did you ever write on schedule? Did you ever write every day? Was when you were writing... Uh, Come and go, Molly Snow. Was that something I'm you did? Very, I'm, I'm a, a, a terrible uh, uh, routine person. Uh, I, I, I understood that most clearly from, from living with Jim. You know, he would say, put writing first. And I would always be saying, easy for you to say, you know. Uh, you know, go do this and that and the other thing. But um, I've always had trouble putting writing first. I still do, and I think that it accounts for what I think is a pretty meager output, but, um, you know, I would, I would have preferred to have the kind of discipline that he had, um, to have gotten up in the morning and not fed the cats and not fixed breakfast and not worried about the floor being cruddy and gone down and worked, you know? I think that's what a person needs to do and I have never learned to do it, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, you know, and I think probably women have a harder time with that than men because so much of our upbringing is uh, about mm -hmm. keeping house. Um, 
and that you know that can get to be like a real disease uh, and um, so anyway I've, I'm trying to put writing first now do you and Jim uh, exchange mm -hmm. papers yeah edit each other or just were you just a reader for him and he for you well, yes, and sometimes early on, often, uh, you know, in the process of an unfinished story or a poem. Uh, I don't think we did that so much with novels. They're just too precarious. Uh, somehow you could begin, go down the wrong path so easily. But with short stories and, uh, and poems, yeah, we both read for each other a lot and were very helpful to each other, I think. Uh, he was to me, I know. I have forgotten um, some of some of his work and, mm -hmm. and, and some of yours, uh, mm -hmm. frankly, and, and mm -hmm. honestly. Uh, of, uh, well, there's more uh, of his to forget than mine. Mm -hmm. I might have to say. But the question is, did you ever... I don't remember or recall anything that you wrote together. No. No, we never wrote together. We, so you know, it, it, it our collaboration would be, you know, if you got stuck for a while, you'd talk it through. But we never wrote together. But we tried to help the other person out of the, you know, the maze that you'd gotten ourselves into, and that was very helpful for me. I don't know whether it was for him or not, but it was for me. Uh, did you fashion yourself uh, early on in your togetherness as a, a literary couple of Kentucky? Did you ever think of yourself as that? Mm -mm. Because you were, and... Um, I don't think that, I, I mean, uh, I think it dawned on me that there was some sort of, um, of regional um, interest in our in our marriage, but I I had never really you know it just seemed like the most natural thing in the world for two writers to sort of get together, you know, and so I didn't think of it as any particularly uh, unusual thing. Uh, although when I look around me, I don't see that many uh, couples who are mm -hmm. uh, engaged in the same kind of art anyway uh, as we were, um, and. Jim was a very, very um, valuable um, critic and mentor in a way for me because, and I tell you, the main thing that that uh, I understood from Jim was that it was a serious commitment and that you had to honor it if you had, you know, if you had uh, a talent of whatever kind, you needed to be grateful for it and use it. Um, and you know, and he was a very good teacher in that way. And I, I, um, I, I don't think that you know what I did for Jim was fixing tacos. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was, I mean that was our sh the sharing yeah. part. But uh, but um, but he helped me a lot with my, and he was a good critic too. You know. Um, uh, if you will talk to me or, or describe for me your. Um, your best reading experience, mm. where that might be, mm -hmm. what it might have been or still is, when, uh, what part of the day? I think that the, 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 the first time that I understood I could be and wanted to be a writer was reading Catherine Ann Porter. Uh, and uh, the stories that 
you know, for one thing, she just had such confidence in herself as a writer. It seemed to me, I don't know her or anything, but her stories always seem to be totally unapologetic uh, female stories. And so she was, you know, she was the first, well, uh, I, I'm not sure. Eudora Welty was mm. also an influence for me. And, uh, but, you know, I spent a lot of my uh, college years reading Tolstoy and uh, the Russians. And um, I, and, you know, I read Faulkner very, uh, seriously for a while, but I think that he stopped me because, you know, the the brilliance of his rhetoric uh, was so. You know, you had to, you you had to think whether you had that hold of language that he had, uh, and the answer to that was often no. And you know, I grew up in a time when. It was very uh, hard to be a woman writer, I have to say, uh, much harder than it is now, that uh, you had to overcome so many obstacles to it. Um, it's just starting with, you know, college, with creative writing classes. Uh, the attention was basically on the men in the class, and whatever the, you know, whatever the woman was doing was um, very, you know, that's very sweet, dear. You know, it, that's an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. it, it isn't quite fair, mm -hmm. but it is true that most of the energy in any creative writing class I took, uh, except I went to an all-girls school at first, and there, you know, the attention was mm -hmm. on the women. But when I w went to the University of Florida and later to Columbia, uh, the the major attention was on what the men were. Uh, involved with, I have to say. And, and you mm. said that maybe that's changed somewhat, but not enough. Maybe we haven't I made think that much progress. A lot. a lot. Yeah, I do. I I really do think, you know, I've observed. I've taught creative writing classes, and I've observed a lot being taught, and they seem to me to be absolutely, you know, that that is not a problem. Uh, that people are treated the same. Uh, whether they're men or women, um, in those classes, and their experiences are no longer quite as curtailed. Um, Do you have another another novel in you? I've had the same novel in me for fifty years, <laughs> actually, that I can't seem to get ridden. You have, I have, see, boxes and boxes all over the computer that I can't quite <laughs> access has a lot of my, uh, of the making of this story. It's something that has changed enormously over the years, but I have been writing it since I was uh, in my late 20s. My goodness. And Can it, you tell us a little bit about it without revealing well, too much? Well, it's changed very much. Some are a little superstitious about talking about yeah, something like well, this. Well, this, I think one of the things that's stopping me is that it is about a woman artist who... Um, has to choose between being a woman artist and a mother. Uh, and I don't have the experience of being a mother, uh, um, especially to a, a small, small child. So the book, in a way, there's something in me that's saying, don't write that, don't write that. And another thing that says, I think it needs to be written. Mm -hmm. I mean, just have such vast admiration 
for uh, writers like Kim Edwards, who uh, who have managed to raise kids and keep a house and take a job and do it, um, and still get their work done. I've I've had a problem with that from the very beginning. Anything, what is it? Uh, who wrote that poem? All things can tempt me from this craft hmm. craft of mine. I've forgotten who wrote that, but um, would you? Um... How far along in, in the novel would you say you are? Well, it depends on what part I'm rewriting at the moment, but I finished it oh at one goodness. point, and I didn't think it was any good, and so I started over on it, and now I would say I'm on page 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but, but I mean, but I have a whole lot of material that needs to be incorporated into that, and I hope I can live long enough to get that done. And well, it's we, getting to be a race to the finish. We know? Uh, we know you will, and we hope so. Oh, and thank uh, you. we thank you. We would think that maybe not your last, but one of your best work would still be done and finished here in this lovely place. Well. I hope so, too. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.